There's a large spectrum of GMing styles when it comes to handling cause and effect. On one far end of the spectrum, the cause and effect chain of events in the world is purely for show. That is, in this style, each interaction and encounter is determined by the GM, irrespective of the multitude of factors leading up to them. They're all geared for their maximum challenge or excitement, whether that means combat or some other dramatic zenith. I call this the batting cage style of GMing, where the point is to just pitch the balls to the batters to see if they can hit home runs. On the other end of the spectrum is a style that takes into consideration the events occurring in the world, especially the ones that the PCs affect, and it tries to adjust the world accordingly. This could be seen as a thousand ricocheting billiard balls, or more simply, a chess style, where all of the movements affect everything else on the board. So during the campaign, the GM here keeps an eye on the links of cause and effect reverberating through the plot, especially as it pertains to the antagonists and their schemes. Where you stand on this spectrum affects the feel of your campaigns. In my own quest to maximize otherworld immersion, I lean heavily, usually at the far end, of this chess style of GMing. And that's what I'll explore here. My own method when I'm preparing a game is to work out the actions of the antagonists, how others in the world will react to them, and the series of events that will result from all of that. So I chart out exactly how, without the actions of the PCs, the antagonists will make out, including a final timeline of these schemes and events. Note that calendars are indispensable for calculating the unfolding events in your campaigns. Next, I go back to the beginning of this timeline and I find points at which the players may experience the effects of the antagonist's plans, although the PCs won't know the actual source of these events. I start the game in such a way so that the PCs are drawn into this plot with the potential to begin acting in ways that may eventually interfere with the antagonists, perhaps even physically confronting them, possibly unto death. This doesn't mean that the PCs must be particularly dangerous themselves. In some cases, the balance of power between the baddies and their enemies is not necessarily overwhelmingly on the side of the baddies. Not every campaign thread requires the antagonists to be Saurons. Sometimes, purely by discovering and providing special information to the right people, the PCs can radically change the outcome. Antagonists sometimes rely heavily on remaining hidden and secretive in order to succeed. GMs must create cause and effect in Greylin's plot. Let's take this simple, small-scale scenario. Within a small, warlike realm, an embittered clan chief, Graylin, is trying to usurp the dominant lord by instigating a war between several other clans against this lord. To accomplish this, Graylin has several elements of a scheme in play. 
Part of his plot has him hiring distant groups of bandits to hide along specific spots and then attack specific caravans, framing one or the other warlords in the process. Graylin has also hired some cutthroats to murder the relatives of a few important warlords, strategically implicating others. Of course, none of these thugs know that Graylin is actually behind these deeds, for he's smart enough to always have minions, or even minions of minions, to do the hiring and the passing of orders. I will have mapped out exactly where these bandit camps are located, how often they move, how they work to avoid detection, and crucially, how information is passed between them to Graylin. The long-term plan is for Graylin to stir up suspicion and rage between these important warlords with these acts of violence, while he himself appears neutral, thus able to manipulate these other warlords with his whispering. Ultimately, after seven months of his machinations, the competing clan chiefs and lords go to war with each other, and in that chaos, Graylin finally manages to get the main warlord assassinated, and then finally succeeded in supplanting him. This gets calculated, and is what would happen in that region if the PCs did not affect it. Now I return to early in this timeline, and I introduce the PCs into that region where they will become involved somehow. Let's say that through a series of events at month two or three in the timeline, the PCs discover the hideout of some of the bandits that Graylin hired. They fight and are victorious. After killing them, the PCs don't have any information concerning Graylin's connection. But Graylin is still affected. He needed those thieves as part of his scheme to ignite war in the land. Now he must adjust his plans. If nothing else at this point, Graylin's timeline has been altered. Based on the population of this land, there are no other bandits that he can find to replace the dead ones, and so must now spend time and silver clandestinely seeking and hiring thugs from afar. This could cost him weeks or even months. I must determine what Graylin discovers about the bandit's death, with a host of considerations like, how long did it take Graylin to discover their deaths? Days? Weeks? Maybe even their bodies were never discovered at all, unless the PCs led someone there. Did any of them survive and flee? If so, where did they go? Did those survivors tell anyone about the PCs or did they simply flee the region completely? What exactly could they know? Who would they tell? Would these survivors ever make their way back to Graylin's minions or would they intentionally avoid them because they failed? Here the GM has to constantly consider these multiple possibilities, the interpretations, perspectives, and dispositions of all characters. For example, perhaps the bandits were attacked at night. If so, it's possible that any survivors saw no one that they could ever recognize, and perhaps they have no clue about the numbers of the attackers. They knew someone attacked them and they immediately fled. 
Bandits are generally bullies, and therefore cowards, so fleeing when attacked makes sense. We must figure out what happened with these bandit survivors, if any. But even if a survivor saw one or more of the PCs, so what? This doesn't necessarily mean that they would A, be inclined to tell anyone, or B, tell Graylin's men if they did tell anyone, or C, would have anything useful to tell them even if they did. After addressing that, we must also consider how Graylin interprets the event. What is the most natural conclusion for him to draw? Putting the PCs out of our minds, who would Graylin primarily suspect as the slayer of these bandits? Other bandits? Monsters? Internal strife? Of course, we must also consider what the PCs have done before the fight and what they do after. Do they feel any need to keep that battle a secret? Are the PCs actively helping one of the chiefs in some way? Perhaps even the head warlord himself? If so, the PCs will likely relay information to that person. But who else do they tell? Perhaps they go so far as to celebrate the battle openly. Is it reasonable through one avenue or another that Grayland discovers or suspects that the PCs did it? Now let's move forward with this scenario. Let's say that Grayland concludes that just another band of thugs slew his, and that he's still utterly unaware of the PCs. Six weeks have passed and Grayland's new band of thugs arrive from 50 miles away for more of his caravan attacks. Again, the PCs somehow end up finding and battling them. Let's say that this time one of the bandits is captured and gives up the name of the man who hired them to come here. The name is false, of course, but his description and location are not. Perhaps that man wasn't careful enough to sufficiently hide his face. Now the PCs learn that a man called Fiegel, with his pox-scarred uh, face and arms, hired this group to travel the 50 miles and attack specific caravans. This should strike the PCs as very strange and raise a host of questions to be answered. So now they start digging. Again, we return to Graylin and his minions. Within four to nine days, he will discover that these bandits are dead. Perhaps some of his men will end up finding their corpses, but what exactly do they discover? Do they bother accounting for each of the bandits? Did they even know the exact number? If a body is missing, what do they conclude? That someone fled? That a corpse was simply dragged away by wolves? They don't automatically infer that one or more of the bandits talked to their attackers. But Graylin is furious now, and perhaps suspicion of a counterplot from one of the other chiefs. Does he now start spending much more coin to spy? Does he start looking for bandits of fighters who would have been capable of finding and killing his own? He may have discounted the slaying of the first group of bandits as happenstance, but not now. Something is wrong. 
Again, his timetables have been altered. If he needed these caravan attacks to happen to specific people at specific times, that has been taken away from him. His schemes aren't completely ruined. He's still moving forward with his plans, but he has to adjust. Finding bands of thieves, not to mention finding ones who can be trusted to perform tasks, is hard in this region. It's unlikely that he can find another group within the next two months. What happens if Graylin lucks into discovering that the PCs were to blame? What does he know exactly? Does he suspect that they are working for his enemies? What would he do with this knowledge? Have them followed? Have them killed? How can he have them killed? It's too risky to have a band of marauders enter a town. Does he have them followed? Does he try to ambush them? Regardless, the seven-month timeline originally constructed has been pushed easily into a year, and that means winter is coming. Winter is a much larger factor in the pre-modern world, for a movement, especially army movement, grinds to a halt. Even if the PCs vanished after the second bandit attack, with those two acts, the seven-month victory for Graylin turns into a 12 or maybe a 20-month victory. Or perhaps Graylin adjusts and he somehow comes up with a new plan that he decides to try because of all of these events. Maybe it's more risky, but could accomplish his ends within a much shorter timeline. Okay, so within this chess or billiard ball style of GMing, campaigns require constant questions and revisions based on each event. Sometimes the consequences of the PC's actions have results that are not felt until months or years later, maybe in ways that they could have never predicted. Again, careful calendar tracking is vital for campaigns here. Everything that the PCs, their allies, and their enemies are doing happen in time. Using an honest cause and effect timeline requires keeping track of who is doing what and when. Okay, so why go through all the bother of doing this cause and effect tracking? The simplest answer is that it strengthens verisimilitude and it diminishes feelings of GM contrivance. I find that this chess GMing model deepens the sense of player agency, a deeply important element for some gamers. Using this method, when GMs say to the players, you're free to do whatever you want, it gains legitimacy. It significantly changes the feeling of your games, granting a whole new level of impact when the players know that all they do can genuinely affect the world and the plot, and that their actions are not just two-dimensional backdrops as they are ushered into each climactic moment prepared by the GMs. People and events within this style are not immutable. They are naturally affected by each other. When the players see the GMs handling this in a good faith manner, the world feels far more real. And otherworld realism strengthens otherworld immersion. 